You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK analyst and Renew Economy contributor David Leach. David, how are you? Well, Giles, joining you from Melbourne where it's been very, very hot and very, very windy to go with all the bushfires. We've got, uh, uh, um, uh, we're not interviewing Michael Leibowitz, is that his name, from Bloomberg, but he's certainly one of the preeminent renewable energy spokesmen people. He's here in Australia at the moment. And he's been giving the government a bit of a serve on Twitter, from what I read. I don't use Twitter, but what do you think about that? <laughs> I think that's quite interesting, actually. Yes, of course, Michael uh, Liebrich set up Bloomberg NEF, which is probably the most preeminent um, um, energy analyst um, and information service company around the world. And um, he's become quite a prominent figure himself. Um, walks the walk and talks the talk about the clean energy transition and um He's given a couple of presentations this week, one to the Clean Energy Council and one to the RE100 um, anniversary with um, Mike Cannon-Brooks, which we'll come to very soon. Um, but it was interesting. He um, obviously staying in a very nice hotel in the harbour this morning or maybe went out for an early morning walk and um, took a photo of the uh, opera house swathed in um, smoke and basically let fly um, about um, Australia's lack of progress and the tragedy of the fact that it's not doing much to exploit its wind and solar resources. And I think, um, um, you know, made mention of um, Scott Morrison, who sort of rather blithely sort of said, let's go to the cricket and forget about the bushfires for the moment. And um, um, so in a way, he spoke for all of us, I think, just with, you know, the the long running, um, you know, we've documented a lot of the, the good things that are happening in the market on this um, program, but um, we've also spent a rather long, large amount of time just sort of lamenting the lack of policy coordination. Yes, well, certainly I fl- I've been fly- flew down to Melbourne this morning marketing uh, um, ITK research, which is nearly as important as BNEF uh, um, and don't laugh. Um, uh, and uh, certainly the... Uh, it will be, very, it will be, David. <laughs> uh, and, and and so you know uh, we've been uh, we've been talking a lot about that and but I think the big news of the week uh, outside the COAG meeting which is going to come far too late for us to talk about it today has been Mike Cannon Brooks uh, and Twiggy Forrest uh, uh, talking uh, talking up and in, in fact investing uh, quite a lot of capital in the Northern Territory uh, project to export uh, renewable electricity via a cable to Singapore. Absolutely. Look, there's something rather comforting when two of the world's richest, um, two of the well, probably the world's richest, but um, definitely two of the country's richest business people um, start backing renewables in a major way. Um, and it was definitely was a, a week for the world biggest stuff in Australia. But look, this is interesting. Um, as you said, just to sort of give some of the people the background in case they um, have not been reading, this is a project that would build the world's biggest solar farm, 10 gigawatts near Tennant Creek. And just imagine how big that is. Um, 22 gigawatt hours of battery storage, which to give some perspective is 150 times bigger than the Tesla big battery, which is also being upgraded, and we'll get to that later. And and on top of that, um, stick a 4,000 kilometre cable between there to Darwin um, under the the sea to 
to Singapore. So it it kind of sounds one of those projects which sounds like a wonderful idea, but highly improbable. But as you say, they're kind of, um, well, they are putting, um, there's been a first round of funding just to sort of get the feasibility studies and some of the initial planning um, um, to go ahead. Um, tens of million dollars. Um, a challenge, but a really interesting venture. We uh, talked about this on the podcast when we talked with uh, Beyond Zero uh, about uh, about the Northern Territory. And uh, at the time, I noted that there's a um, two competing models for exporting electricity, or three competing models for exporting renewable energy from Australia. Uh, one is via the HVDC link, which I think uh, uh, is probably the easiest and at least uh, least costly. The other is by hydrogen, which has captured the national attention of everyone. And the third way is by exporting electricity by doing the processing of the materials and then exporting the products. Uh, but uh, that's uh, a much tougher route, I think, for, for everyone. Um, so uh, I wish this venture every success. The challenges that I personally foresee um, uh, are not so much around the solar per se, but just making sure that they've got the right solar technology and the right partners. And I guess it's proving up the uh, low risk nature of the HVDC um, uh, cable to Singapore and, and having the Singapore government on side. In contrast to the um, uh, Northwest Shelf project that CWP and uh, energy um, partners are a partners group are associated with, uh, it's probably, in my opinion, a lot easier to negotiate with the Singapore uh, government than it is with the Indonesian government. And if you did negotiate with the Singapore government, you could probably be at least as confident and probably a lot more confident that they would actually stick to the terms of any contract. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, um, I wonder if you can answer this question. A couple of people have just sort of responded to the story that we've published. We've republished a couple of stories this week about it and to say, well, if you're going to build a 10-gigawatt solar farm in the Northern Territory, why don't you just connect it to the national electricity market? Um, uh, well, you, <laughs> I suppose there's a whole well, bunch of reasons there. Um, le well, le le legacy generators and regulators and... No, and no, there's certainly you, you could do that. And uh, I want to draw everyone's attention because the Another question that's been coming up is how much reliability do you actually need and how tight should the reliability standard be? Uh, and this is a big issue in the theory of the literature at the moment. And do we need to change the market design to have uh, a model that produces more dispatchable generation? But if we look at the studies that have been done on 100% renewable generation, of which probably the uh, best one still by far is the ANU study done by Andrew Blakers, he only wants to have uh, 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 20 gigawatts, roughly, of dispatchable power. But to get that level, uh, rather than, say, um, uh, 25 gigawatts, uh, you need to have a great transmission link up to North Queensland uh, to take advantage of the terrific wind resource that we've got in that state and the fact that it doesn't correlate so well with the south. So wherever you get to it, uh, having great transmission resources is the uh, key. I, I mean, I don't want to harp on about this because I love transmission. I don't. But it's just such a fundamental building block uh, to making the electricity system of the future, which is highly renewable, and minimising the actual costs by minimising the amount of dispatchable power, which invariably is more expensive in this country than, than the bulk energy, which comes from the wind and the solar. 
Yeah, and I'll remind people to the um, the interview that we had about a month ago with Darren Miller, the CEO of ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, and he was talking about the possibility of 700% renewables because he was thinking about projects such as these um, in those three export possibilities that you just mentioned, either direct cables or refining processes and metals or hydrogen. And his point was that even though you're going to build a lot of this out in the outback in the never-never because of the fantastic resources there, presumably you can get land agreements, um, he thought it would be good to have the connected because then you've just got this sort of huge surplus of available electricity, which would be incredibly cheap to power our own grid and enough capacity to have there whenever we need it and um, use the surplus, obviously, for um, for those three exporting opportunities. So um, That's right, Charles. So yeah, and and another, I, want to, I want to remind our listeners of another thing Darren said, uh, which is going to be very timely. And that is that ARENA, together with the CEFC, together with the federal government, is going to be uh, selecting one of the South Australian uh, pumped hydro projects to get the go-ahead. Essentially, they're going to be uh, picking a winner, frankly, uh, of one of those 400. So I expect to see a 200 megawatt uh, pumped hydro project getting to financial close sometime in the next four weeks. Yeah, no, that'll be um, that'll be. I'm looking forward to that. In fact, um, I wouldn't be half surprised if it was announced um, during the Coag meeting, um, which is happening on Friday. We're actually recording a day before that. Had hoped to do it a day earlier, but um, I managed to find a lesson about gravity, which is if you put your telephone on the roof of the car, then eventually, sometime down the road, it will fall off, and there's highly likely you'll let another car falling behind or will run over it. So um, that kind of put me behind the eight ball. <laughs> anyway, look, um, we look forward to that pumped hydro storage thing in South Australia. Um, that's going to be quite, quite um, crucial. But um, another bit of news came out of South Australia um, this week, and again, it was um, another world biggest. This is confirmation that the Tesla big battery at the Hornsdale Power Reserve is going to be expanded by 50%, and it's now going to be 150 megawatts and 193 and 194 megawatt hours. And this new upgrade, which um, interestingly gets the first ever battery funding for uh, standalone battery storage from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, it gets $8 million from ARENA, it gets another $3 million a year for five years for South Australia. So in effect, NEON um, rather cleverly doesn't have to fork out any of its own money. But the idea of this new of this upgrade of the battery is to do a couple of different things. One is inertia. Um, this actually is sort of quite quite important in a grid which is going. I, I don't. Do you mean inertia or do you mean frequency control? No, I mean inertia. Actually, yes, definitely. Um, frequency control is what it does already, and it's probably um, doing enough of that. Um, this they're quite sort of. Um, um, it, it, is inertia. Um, at the moment, a lot of that comes from the um, gas um, turbines. When there is a lot of wind generation in South Australia, AEMO calls on a certain amount of gas generation to provide that sort of inertia um, for the grid, just, um, just as a fail-safe. They've also introduced or are about to build some synchronous condensers, which will provide a similar um, capacity, which means that those gas turbines will no longer be needed and the synchronous condensers can come on. But of course, this is 50-year-old technology. So if you can actually get a battery which can do that as well. And look, this has been tested once in Ireland. Um, but in um, Ireland, uh, very, very Giles, I want scale. to point out, uh, we, I talked to Marek Kubik, who was uh, had a lot to do uh, at Fluence, uh, who had a lot to do with the battery in Ireland and was a, a co-author on an academic study that looked at the results. 
And that is about, I mean, as I understand it, the main reason for having inertia is to provide frequency control. But look, I don't, we'll get bogged down in some electrical engineer, power engineer will correct both of us very quickly. And I would also point out there's been a study by ERCOF that says that uh, you can actually end up with problems in power systems if you have too many uh, um, uh, frequent, um, uh, condensers. Uh, so you have to have uh, other um, uh, equipment to go with them. So in any case, it's great to see the battery being expanded. And I think in South Australia, you can correct me if I'm wrong, pretty much all the new solar farms that are going to go over there, and I suspect the wind farms too, uh, are also going to need some form of uh, therming or dispatchable component with their power. So I expect uh, we're going to see more batteries uh, coming to the market in South Australia. Well, I think more batteries coming to the market all over the shop. Um, interestingly, Origin um, AGL came out a couple of weeks ago saying that um, just a contract for 200 megawatts, 400 megawatt hours of battery in New South Wales. Origin is talking about batteries as well as fast start generators at um, various of its um, current transmission points. We'll wait and see how many of those actually go ahead with the development. Um, um, talking about storage, I was, I was a bit intrigued by um, Origin's um, um, revelation that um, its feasibility study on the Shoalhaven app grade um, seems to have come in higher than expected, but I'm not too sure quite where they're going to go with that one. Um, I didn't manage to get that many more details out of them. I couldn't listen to their entire webinar and didn't get a response to my questions about it. No, I, I, I have, have to follow through and see with that. But um, Greg Jarvis from Origin about 18 months ago was talking about a million dollars a megawatt of power capacity. So we can measure these uh, pumped hydro costs either per megawatt hour which makes them look cheap generally because they've got a lot of storage, or we can measure them per uh, megawatt, uh, which is the actual power capacity, and that make, generally tends to make them look more expensive. He was talking about a million dollars a megawatt, which seemed reasonable because it's a, uh, if I can use the phrase, brownfields or greenfields uh, uh, expansion because there's already a pumped hydro uh, uh, unit there, so you wouldn't have the transmission costs and you would seem to have some of the other bits and pieces, but... Uh, uh, Origin did say that the cost has gone up, which must mean it's more than a million. And I would compare that with the three hydro Tasmania. I mean, we're interviewing uh, Steve Davey next week, something exciting to look forward to from Hydro Tasmania. And their uh, Battery of the Nation project has three pumped hydro projects that they're looking at as their best ones, but none of them are basically less than $1.5 million a megawatt. And we know that even if Snowy 2 can stick to budget, uh, and there's a certain amount of... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, sort of, uh, uh, how can I caution around that? Uh, that's $2 million a megawatt. So these things are important. And I think it's easy to get overly carried away with pumped hydro because it does look very cheap on a dollars per megawatt hour basis. Once you've got the bloody thing built, got through all the not-in-my-backyard issues and the other environmental issues, but that generally takes a long time. And uh, batteries for, uh, are coming down in cost all the time. Uh, you don't need any space. You can normally get one delivered uh, pretty quickly. So I'd, I think the battery, the battle between battery uh, and gas and pumped hydro and demand response is uh, it's still not clear. I think there'll be room for all of them. Well, let's hope so indeed. And, and um, I'm looking forward to the interview with um, Steve Davey, and I'm being fascinated to hear a bit more about um, the plans, not just to be the battery of the nation, as it were, but also to, as, as hydrogen, of course, with 100% um, renewable energy, largely from the hydro and the increasing wind um, resources down there. Um, sounds like a reasonable idea, but I guess, once again, we're sort of talking about... Um, export costs and, um, and opportunities for manufacturing there and um, but certainly preferable um, 
to have clean hydrogen rather than brown hydrogen. I noticed there's been a few cautious um, analyses sort of flying flying around saying, you know, by all means, let's do hydrogen, but for goodness sake, let's not do um, fossil fuel hydrogen, um, even with the promise of carbon capture of storage, which is another technology which seems to have come back out from under a rock um, in the last um, in the last week or two, but um, it's supposed to go. Um, un- it's supposed to go under the rock. The carbon, uh, Giles, not come out from under it. But I think that's one of the many risks that we have that it will come out for under it. And uh, look, uh, it's been very hard to get any enthusiasm for carbon capture and storage. And I, I don't think we need that as a technology. And, and I don't think uh, Australia needs. It. And I think it's again, it's the usual th- mistake everyone makes of looking backwards instead of forwards. Uh, so that's my point about that. Uh, the other uh, side of things that came from the, the other small announcement from the Origin uh, uh, Investor Day that I took an interest in was that their Mortlake power station repair, one unit of that has been out of uh, action for some months now, and along with the Loy Yang uh, uh, outage, that's been one of the things that's pushed uh, the fear of uh, reliability in the March quarter in Victoria or the fear of blackouts to, to a high level. Uh, you know, stu- And that fear has been stoked by Angus Taylor, uh, let's face it, at every opportunity he gets, he talks up the risk in Victoria, uh, uh, which I think is inappropriate sort of thing for the federal government to be doing. Um, but in any case, what uh, Origin uh, showed was that that repair is actually still likely to be up and that unit up and running by December the 30th. It's uh, got one of those fantastic corporate graphs that I love to see where they've got goal, tick, goal, tick, goal, tick. It's pretty easy when you're marking your own goals, isn't it? You know, I'm... I only wish I could do yes, that at home, yes. with my, home with the housework, you know, the, the, get, get, get the sign off from the wife from everything, but that, that doesn't happen very often. Yes, well, indeed. Well, look, um, I, I think um, getting up by December 30th, yes, well, at the very latest, because as you have experienced in Victoria today, that's already 39 or 40 degrees in various parts of the state, and um, and I think that's going to be put pressure on, on, on some of that um, part of the grid. It concerns me. I just sort of get a lot of feedback from people. I remember sort of 3A, 3A um, oh, who's um, um, Elliot? Um, oh, what's his name? John Elliot's son um, was sort of saying, let's have a blackout just to sort of prove the fact that, you know, wind and solar is wrong. And you do wonder, there's, there's a bit of a ghoulish activity goes on. Everyone gets onto the apps and the NEMWatch um, widgets. And uh, I can see the increase in traffic when the uh, heat waves come through and people are sort of watching it to see what happens. And, uh, I, I, I can't forget um, at the start of last summer, actually, Angus Taylor's wife on Facebook page said she wished for a blackout, you know, just to sort of prove the people that they can't have wind and solar and have their cake and eat it as well. So there is rather a lot of people sort of hoping for a blackout, and, I, you know, I really do hope it doesn't happen. Um, well, Giles, you must be in the wrong to... business then. I thought you were in the medium business, in media business, where if it bleeds, it leads, and uh, bad news says <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> We find in Renew Economy, actually, that good news sells most, I've got to say. Um, you know, people are pretty inspired by some of the um, projects and some of the things which are happening. And, um, yeah, I've got to say our, our readership, and thanks to all the readers out there, not just the listeners, um, has been um, rocketing up in the last couple of months. And so um, no, it's very gratifying, very satisfying, and, and obviously a reflection that, um, you know, some people are very excited about this transition, as many people in the industry are, if, um, if there wasn't... Um, all these political hurdles in the way. And look, David, we're not going to talk much about COAG because at the time we publish this um, podcast, um, the meeting will be underway and the result will be known a few hours later. But look, um, let's hope that something does come out of it. I mean, in the lead up to it, it doesn't look like there's any grand vision there. There seems to be a focus on bilateral deals and things like that. And um, we, we, we still don't get this sort of, you know, this 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 
this grand vision thing. And look, it's probably too much to expect from this government, and we'll just have to do without it. But um, let's not hope. Let's hope that we don't have too many hurdles thrown thrown in its way. Well, there are a lot of things on the agenda, Giles, but it's probably better to talk about them when we see the communique. Uh, I, I see that Kogarty is up uh, as an item on agenda, and I, I guess I just look. Let's not prejudge uh, the meeting. I think we'll keep this podcast, uh, if it suits you, fairly short and sweet this week for our listeners, because uh, hopefully there'll be a lot more to talk about next week. Absolutely. Look, and I am actually going to try and stick a bit of a recording of Michael Cannock Books talking at the RE100 um, event last night. Um, so just sort of stay online, listeners. Um, well, we'll find out very we'll find out very quickly whether we've actually got that or not. Um, I haven't actually received that audio yet, but I'm hoping to tack it on before we publish this. But um, anyway, David, I'd just like to thank our sponsors, um, Solaray Energy and Evergen, once again. And... Um, Wish you a safe trip back from Melbourne. And um, look, we'll talk again next week post-COAG. And um, look, we've got some great interviews coming up over the um, over the next couple of weeks um, with Steve Davey from um, Tassie Hydro um, and some others as well. So I'm looking uh, forward to that. Uh, uh, uh. Yes, and Andrew Dillon too from Energy Networks. After that, we haven't we don't talk enough about the networks, but as as the distributed energy and you know more than nine gigawatts, it's going to be fourteen gigawatts of distributed solar by twenty twenty five. Uh, that's uh, there's tons of stuff to talk around that as well. But uh, enough for now, Giles. Enough for me. That may be enough from David, but it's not all we have on the Energy Insiders podcast. As highlighted earlier, we have got hold of the audio from the interview uh, this week between um, with Mike Cannon-Brooks. He was in discussion with John D at the first anniversary of the excellent RE100 program. Um, it was held at Atlassian headquarters, and we've got a couple of excerpts from this interview, and we start with a question when John D asked Mike Cannon-Brooks about why Atlassian had signed up to RE100? I mean, a lot of different reasons. Uh, I mean, firstly, we are big believers. We're a very long-term thinking business at Atlassian, and hence big believers in sustainability, um, not just from an ecological energy power sense, but generally we believe our business needs to be sustainable. It's pretty hard to build a sustainable long-term business without thinking about one's impact on communities, planet, etc. And so that's the approach we tend to take to uh, corporate social responsibility uh, and obviously that a big component of that was energy usage. Um, there's no doubt we expect it to save us money, so we're quite fiscally responsible. Um, have always been a very capital efficient business and we believe that's a part of it. Um, uh, we haven't actually done a lot of the marketing like VB has, although someone handed me a prony, maybe we should have been handing out VB. Uh, <laughs> but that is potentially a component of it. Um, but for us, mainly, it's, it's about um, uh, saving money and, and just fundamentally doing the right thing by the sustainability of our business and everything around us long term. You've been quite outspoken talking about the business benefits of renewable energy. And, you know, I just referred to the money-saving side. From your point of view, what, what are the business benefits of going 100% renewable? Um, look, the money-saving side is, is, is kind of obvious. Um, if you're only getting 15%, probably not negotiating your PPAs well enough, but uh, we'll see. Um, uh, if you ask me, I'll, I'll sell you one. If, you, if you're going to get 15% discount, I'll, I'll sell you a PBA. I'll find you. I would say the other one that there's a good talk about is employee morale. So, I mean, we, you know, we've had a foundation, uh, a corporate foundation for 15, 16 years, just completely better than that, a long time, and, and it's always had a huge impact. Um, what we've found is that climate, sustainability, all the other work we've done over the last two or three years is a huge reason people mention when they join, why they come to work for us, that the war for talent 
is a big piece that I think is under under mentioned when it comes to things like that. Um, it certainly internally was incredibly well received, and we've taken a series of steps I think beyond RE100 now, um, and that's that's a big component that doesn't get talked about. Sure, everyone else will talk about a lot of the other things. Okay. Now, uh, just as we were, you know, I was doing the last minute read through of my uh, my notes for tonight, and it was like, then I get this Bing news alert. Now, Mike Cannonbrooks, Twiggy Forests, um, Northern Territory, multi-billion dollar project sending renewable energy from the Northern Territory to Singapore. Uh, it's a bit more information that's come out today. Can you share with us what's happening? Uh, sure, I got told today it was half an MBN. I'm like, wow, that's, I'm sure there'll be more value for that. Um, <laughs> take two cables at one MBN. Uh, uh, sure, I mean, uh, the only next stage announcement, I suppose, we announced that investment is, is uh, fully funded for stage one of, of Sun Cable, um, the Australian-Singapore Power uh, Link, uh, formerly known as, um, which is amazing. It's, uh, it's a huge project on a world scale, right? This is not big on an Australian scale, this is big on a world scale. Um, 10 gigawatts of solar, which would be the largest, if not one of the largest, by the time it's built, probably would be the largest, uh, would be today, solar farm, connected to 22 gigawatt hours of storage. Um, so, separate abusing anecdote, I don't know if you've got journalists in the room, but when you ring people to get storage, I've got friends that know about storage. Uh, <laughs> you ring them and ask for 100 megawatt hours, totally different. You ring them and ask for 22 gigawatt hours, wow. <laughs> They're like, wait, you mean 150 times bigger than South Australia? I'm like, yeah, 150 times bigger than South Australia. Um, so, you know, connected and then a, and a cable going to Singapore, right? Um, and each of these elements is pushing the limits for sure, of engineering, right? It's on the sort of visibility of human engineering, but not impossible. They should all scale up to that level. Um, the reason that we are all involved, with you and, and others, with you today, is to, to serve as a lighthouse project to Australia, right? To the world. It is a world scale engineering project, right? If we get this done on a literally global level, this will be innovative for many years to come and is a huge potential export market for Australia, which is really why we're trying to do it. And that was Mike Cannon-Brooks, the CEO of Atlassian, talking to John D at the RE100 event this week. That's all now for Energy Insiders. Thanks once again to our sponsors, Solarate Energy and Evergen, and we'll be talking to you again next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.